everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Just posted my interview with Miranda Seymour, the British literary biographer. It was a great conversation, which we had, I think it was back in August. You know, in Miranda's defense, she didn't know I was going to be using the video, so she spends a lot of the interview sort of leaning forward into the camera. It's kind of cute, actually. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. It was a great conversation. I was so glad I got to share that. And we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. You can learn more about the PNWA, pnwa.org. So uh, today I, well, I'll be sharing my conversation with Brian O'Hare. It's his debut. He's got a short story collection. He's a filmmaker. He is an advocate for Army veterans. Interesting, interesting guy, and um, it was such a cool conversation. We talked about manhood, about writing, about myths. Oh, very interesting. Anyway, Brian is a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy and former U.S. Marine Corps officer. His career began in a Baltimore bar, the legendary Club Charles, where director John Waters cast him to appear in his film Cry Baby. How about that? Currently, he's an award-winning writer and filmmaker living in Los Angeles. His work has appeared in War, Literature and the Arts, Santa Fe Writers Project, Hobart, and other journals. And he has been nominated for two Pushcart Prizes. He was named a writing fellow at the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts and recently served as a visiting writer at SUNY Kingsborough in Brooklyn. He's currently at work on his debut novel, and like I said, his debut collection of short stories, Surrender, is awesome. And so is he. And here's our conversation. Enjoy. All right, look who it is. It's Brian. Brian O'Hare, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. So happy to be here, Bill. Happy to have you. Congratulations. This is Surrender. De- debut book, yeah? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, okay. Collection of stories, linked stories. It, it could You could read it like a novel, kind of, if you want, but they're a collection of short stories, yeah? Yeah, inter interconnected short stories, yeah. characters showing up. Uh, the comparison I give, uh, you know, it's like uh, Elizabeth Strout's uh, Olive uh, Kittredge. Um, not comparing the two books, but right, I mean... But same, same approach. I love the connected stories. I love oh. the connected stories as an approach. I think it's it's one of the coolest forms, for me anyway. And you've done a wonderful job. And I love the title. I can't think of a better title given the subject matter, which is near and dear to you, I know. Um, so this is a bunch of stories about football to some degree. Life is a, and and military. <laughs> Life as a teen growing up in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Western Pennsylvania. And uh, then eventually uh, drawing upon your own life because you served what, six years in the Marines. That's correct, yeah. Yeah. So um, we were just chatting a little beforehand about how you moved to my uh, current home city of Seattle after leaving the Marines for a change of pace. Um, when you were serving and before, was writing possibility? Was it on your mind or was it the furthest thing from your mind? No, it's always uh, was on my mind. Um, I like to say, you know, when people ask me, so how did you make this? How did you go from going to the Naval Academy, the Marine Corps into writing and making films? Um I like to say, you know, I got some bad career advice, obviously. 
<laughs> Which of that was bad? Because conceivably, all of it could be bad. So, I mean, to, you know, if you had asked me at age 15, what what do you see yourself doing yeah. at age 56? I would say, you know, what I'm doing right now. I'm a okay. writer and a filmmaker. So, you know, taking this 10-year detour, so to speak, to go to the Naval Academy and get, you know, an engineering you know, crammed into your brain and then to go spend six years in the Marine Corps is a strange way of going about that. But I will say that the the great thing was that it, you know, it gave me a lifetime of uh, material in a way. I have to say too, as it says in the beginning of the book, that the Marine Corps for me was a transformative experience Uh, in the Marines that I served with, particularly, you know, the Marines that were, you know, that I was responsible for completely transformed the way that I saw the world. And I would say in a lot of ways, the seeds of surrender uh, are rooted in that. And it's just been this very long, you know, percolating process. Surrender, it seems to me, is also loosely you could say about manhood in a way what it is and isn't yeah Yeah. i mean football i mean it isn't all about football but the sort of the ethos surrounding it is sort of part of it and then of course the military um and surrender is not normally associated with a positive view of manhood it's the the opposite it's loss in one way in one way one concept of surrender is loss obviously but this is not way it's intended in this book um, talk about that because you know there's there's your ideas of manhood have to go from from a sort of cartoon version to maybe a self-loathing to something better, something else. Well, talk about that transition for you. Right. So the the title refers to surrendering the myth or surrendering the mythology. Yeah. Um, you know, even going back to growing up in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, I was the 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 football team captain, you know, I was the all conference player. Uh, Our team was not just good. We were, you know, like ranked in the top 20 USA today, top 25. And, you know, every part of the country loves high school football. Western Pennsylvania loves it just a little bit more than everybody else does. So, you know, as this first sort of taste of, like an archetypical sort of like uh, masculine role, that was a pretty heady one. You know, and you're our, like a celebrity, aren't you? I mean, if you're if you're the team captain of, and you're a t- you're like locally, yes, you're a, you're a celeb, right? Yes, I would uh, think. Uh, yeah, like a my like I think I refer to it, you know, in one of the stories. It's like you're you're like a minor deity. Yeah, and it's very true. Even um our high school football coach. He just retired. He showed up in my life when I was 11. He just retired? Yes. He's the, (laughs) if I remember correctly, he might be the first or the second winningest coach in the history of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Again, you want to talk about a celebrity. Holy moly. This guy, I mean, he's, he's a legend. So, yes, exactly. So at this very early age, you have this kind of celebrity kind of, uh, you know, status, this deity status. And then from there, I go to the Naval Academy. Um, you know, right. my father, who was a Marine pilot in Vietnam, flew wow. 307 wow. missions. This big, swaggering, super cool, charismatic New York Irishman yeah. uh, who got shot down, had to pry his canopy open with his K-bar knife. Um, Jesus. So you so, grew up with all this. I mean, you grew, that's just bigger than life. 
the bigger than life father that's 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 that can be glorious and just suffocating i would think it could go either well, way it's, it's both i think yeah. in a lot of ways and again that's and so he raised me uh to be like you know like better than him and so right. for him it was like he called the naval academy the man factory <laughs> You know, this place that produces men. It's this other, this like archetypical kind of yeah. uh, masculine role. And then after that, the Marine Corps. I mean, yeah. that is like, as far as American culture goes, that's like the, that is the top, that's the Rolls Royce brand name of this very traditional kind of yes. American masculinity. Absolutely. And then on top of it too, like, you know, I was in combat for about probably about six and a half minutes, but <laughs> just long enough to check that box. Um, um, I had no idea what I was doing and I didn't I didn't do anything really. But right. That's another, uh, you know, I, I had a friend who got into who was who was served in I forget what he was just in the army. I think he was just a, a foot soldier in the army and he was in the yeah. first Iraq war. Yeah. And he talked to me about a firefight. And he said, it's insane. He said, it's just madness. He said, it's like it, nothing makes to him. Nothing made sense, even though he'd been trained and was and like sure. he and it was longer than six minutes. But he said it just it, he couldn't forget the insanity of it. You know, well, you kind of get well, here's we're sort of like digressing a little bit, but you kind of get sort of high in a way. That I think totally I, makes sense. Yeah, I think for about three days after that six minutes. And like I said, I didn't it was total confusion to me. Right. I really didn't. I didn't do anything. You know, <laughs> it's not a story of heroism. Right. Um, but the 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 high that you feel at somebody shooting a rocket at you or whatever, like I was kind of high for like three days. Wow. And so I, well, I, we're, I'm not answering your question. No, it's okay. This is such an interesting topic for me because the I, I think that you were talking about surrendering the myth. Yes. You know? And I think it's so important. I think everybody, I was talking to, um, oh, shoot, he wrote Tales of the City. Um, you know. Um, Armistead Maupin? Yes, I was talking to Armistead Maupin, and he was talking about coming out. And he came out yeah. in the 70s when he was like, nobody was coming out who was a public yeah. figure, and he did. And talking to him, I realized, I said, you know, Armistead, I said, I think everybody has to come out on some yeah. level about something. And surrendering the myth is a version of that. Would you say, is that fair? Absolutely. Who am I really? What am I really? Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. That's a great comparison. I think, um, you know, we all, you know, the, the quote from uh, Herman Hesse in the beginning of the book, I love because yeah. it's like a biblical reference, but it, as for, you know, people you let our, re our listeners know what that is. Yeah. It's uh, in the beginning was the myth. Yeah. And yeah. that I love that it implies that, you know, at the beginning of everything, was mythology right. and we that implies that we're all children of this mythology yeah. and we all sort of bear the weight of our own mythologies whether it's a personal mythology a familial mythology a tribal mythology institutional one a national one and you know for me this coming out as you referred to it is like you know is surrendering that mythology yeah. And, you know, again, being who you are, it's it's a story of like of personal liberation in a way. Yeah. And though I have all like the, the the quote sexy sort of window dressing of like, oh, your dad was this amazing, cool guy. 
Um, oh, you were the football captain, all this yeah. stuff. Um, you know, it, this can apply to everybody. And oh, we, we all have these mythologies that we wrestle with all the time. Totally, totally. And one thing that a writer has to do, it seems to me, is say, because I, I coach and teach a lot of writing. And one of the things I emphasize is, you got to know what is the story you want to tell and how do you want to tell it? And it's going to be so distinctive to you. Even if you write romance, there's yeah. going to be the way you do it. And, yeah. it. and if you really let it be authentic, it's not going to be like everybody else. So we all have to kind of drop, you know, people think I got to write a certain way. I got to be a certain literary or not be literary or be exciting or whatever they think they have to be. You got to drop it to find out who you actually are. And the thing about the myth you were describing, it occurs to me as I was listening to you, is it gives you initially a box you can try to fit into and say, if I fit into that, I'm good. Yeah. Right. And then you get into it and you're like, well, well this just yeah. doesn't feel like anything. Well, and that's the thing too, is because in a lot of ways I was sort of like given like the golden ticket. Um, you could I, have uh, ridden that. You could have ridden what you did. You could have, you could have ridden football and being in the, in the Marines and let that, I, be who you were no exactly and you know it's part i guess as we you know again as we grow up and we try to adhere to these mythologies of what we're supposed to be or you know you're trying to be your father or your hero or whoever it is um you know like you try to make yourself fit in that box and yeah. um i always felt there was something wrong with me that yeah uh, you know, like I was, I'm always swimming upstream. You know, right. I should, I should have just been like, yeah, I'm the football captain. This is great. Yes, I'm at the Naval Academy, right. uh, Marine Corps. Uh, I should go to law school or business school. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cash in and just take take my reward. Be a congressman. Like, you know, could have been, totally, you could have been a Pennsylvania congressman, right? Absolutely, because right. you know my my sort of manhood credentials, so yeah. to speak, are like they're bulletproof. That's right. Um, but they ultimately were suffocating. Yeah. And um, I've, you know, been able to come out again, uh, you know, as, you know, as a, as who I am, as a writer, as a storyteller. Um, so, yeah, sur surrendering the mythology. Um, you, you um, so you're my age, I think, pretty much. So we grew up the same. I played football in college uh, or in high school and I ran track. And, but I, I, but I grew up in Providence where football, it just isn't the same. Providence, Rhode Island. It's just not right. the same as Western Pennsylvania or Texas, yeah. or any of these places. So it just wasn't, didn't have the cachet. But um, you, um, so you do, so you get out of the military, you move to Seattle and you're living on Capitol Hill, which in, for those who don't know, it's a very avant-garde alt place, particularly in the nineties. And so you've gone the other direction. You've said to yourself, I got to see, I got to explore something else. Is, was something starting to crack a little for you at that point? Absolutely. By that time, I was almost 28 years old. Right. And by anybody's estimation, that's a good chunk of a human life. Totally. And it was time to start to, again, like you said, to try something else, to to maybe live my dream for a while. Um, because what I've sort of come to realize, like a lot of parents, you know, I was kind of living my father's dream for me. Yeah. And actually, you know, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I, I was ordained to go to law school and right. I didn't. Right. Uh, I thought I was going to be an actor. Right. And, you know, uh, being in Capitol Hill in the early 90s was an incredibly creative place. You yep. know, 
Kurt, Kurt, you'd see Kurt Cobain like walking his dog, <laughs> right, uh, right? You know, REM at Linda's Tavern. Uh, yeah, it was very heady experience. My father basically stopped talking to me for five years. Right. Wow. Until wow. he then died from Agent Orange-related prostate cancer <sighs> um, at age fifty-six. I've officially outlived my father now. Wow. And really, you know, other than my Marines transforming the way that I view the world, the seeds of surrender started, I think, when my father stopped talking to me and when I spent the last two months with him at Bethesda Naval Hospital, because it got me questioning, like, so what did that all mean? Right. And man, so, you know, this has been this. And you're what, 28? You're like 30. You're in your 30s at that point. Yeah. And, you know, just I didn't know anything didn't know how to write and so like i said but the 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 percolating had started yeah and yeah. i was sort of you know uh subconsciously uh demythologizing the you know everything i had experienced the football captain the naval yeah. academy the midshipman the marine um i kind of broke a little bit and yeah. i really broke when my father died and in some ways, and it's terrible, it sounds terrible. My father's a great, terrific guy who gave me a lot, who gave me a lot. Um, but his death kind of freed me. Yeah, you know what? Nothing wrong with that. That That is the way it works for a lot of people, where sometimes they, it just, in your life, I know it sounds weird. I had two cats. I mean, I know it's worked with people. By these two cats, they loved each other. The male died, and the female just flourished after that. Yeah. And he, he, we loved the male cat, but she lived a long time after that and really flourished. And sometimes the other person's, I had a person I went to high school with and when he he was two years older than me. And when he left, I was like, God, he was my friend, but I feel so much better now that he's not even here in this school with me anymore. Yeah. I found his company. So no, it makes total sense to me. And, and I love that it's percolating because sometimes that has to happen. A creative project sits in you. You don't know what it is. You know, it's yeah. something right. And it yeah. finds its expression, but this is like, like I said, it's a collection of short stories. I would imagine if I had to guess, I would say you did not start it knowing exactly what it was. Like you would just oh, sit down and say, I'm writing a piece about surrendering a mythology. No. It doesn't feel like that at all. No, it's, a, it's an exploration. And yeah. I didn't, I didn't invent this, but some, I heard this, but somebody said that there's two types of writers. There's architects and there's gardeners An mm. architect sits down to write a series of short stories about demythologizing the mythology right. and, and creates <laughs> that. And then they're like, right. voila, here it is. Yeah. Um, me, I, I collect, again, these are all seeds or, you know, uh, nuggets of gold, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, yep. this gardener uh, metaphor that I'll plant a couple seeds and, you know, you tend to them and something sprouts up, you know, you might, you, you weed it a little bit, you tend to it. And, you know, you, you think you were planting maybe a rose bush and like, you know, a palm tree comes up, but a palm tree is great, you know? That's right. And yeah. so I just sort of let the story in a way sort of lead me. And so I did, I sat down to write essentially like backstory for an idea that I had for a novel. Really? Oh, it started yeah. that, that, it started that unplanned. <laughs> wow. Oh, absolutely. I mean, total wow. like blank slate. And yeah. I also figured practically too, that if I, if I couldn't write a 15 page 
story effectively. <laughs> I sure as hell couldn't write a 250 right book so right. there was you know again backstory and uh you know craft and out of you know doing this for six years or so this world came out of it yeah and, you know characters reoccurred and then this idea or this theme of uh you know it was like oh shit this is about right. surrendering the mythology yeah. yeah and so you know, it was allowed again to percolate again on the page and this world came out of it. And I love it. You know, it's, you're talking about a specific mythology of manhood, but, but I think every, you were, like you had said, everybody's got mythology of their yes. own, one, the housewife mythology, the artist mythology, the rebel mythology, whatever it is. And I was thinking, about, I write a lot of personal essay and um, I'm just writing a piece for writer's digest about this. And and I and I realize that when I write a piece about me in theory, I mean my someone with my name who did something, I want yeah. to write it like everyone reading it thinks it's about them. Yes. Right. And so you're looking for, and the reason I mention is you're looking for this in the story about manhood and youth and growing up and war, something universal, whether you've ever been to war or not, or ever played football or not, or ever gone to homecoming or not. Yeah. yeah. You're looking and it feels that way to me. I don't know if you do that deliberately, but you're looking for something just un universally human that runs through that. Well, Does that make sense? Yes. But I think the thing, again, that interests me are human stories. Like mm -hmm. People interest me. I'm yeah. also a documentary filmmaker. And it's yeah. to me, I don't see a difference. It's all storytelling. Yeah. Um, and the things that I'm interested in are, again, are people and their stories. And so I think it kind of becomes universal in a way if you're in, if you tell human stories yeah. um because again everybody struggles um That's right and i think we can all relate in our on some level like empathetic to our fellow you know the, the struggle of being a human being uh because you know we all got to make it from point a to point b That's right. That's um right. and we, we try to do it in as good a fashion as possible, try to be as happy as possible. Um, you know, in some ways, I think, you know, this is a kind of a purgatorial existence that we live. <laughs> the kids, you know, we're talking about, you know, like sort of like spiritual beliefs. And yep. I remember when they were young and they had asked about, you know, so what is hell? And I was like, okay, so personally, I was like, I don't think hell exists. Right. I, I certainly hope that a heaven or some kind of a heaven does exist right because well why not but i've come to the conclusion that if there is a hell or a purgatory well we're living in it um because the fact like you know yeah do you have a lock on your front door i yep. mean i think that's proof right there why would you need a lock if it wasn't hell because you're protecting you know the things that you love and value from what's outside right and i couldn't imagine a you know a more perfect vision of hell um, so we all struggle and that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy and love and have great times and laugh in this purgatory. So again, I just have a lot of compassion, I think, for being alive and being human and how hard it is. Well, you know, that great quote, I wish I remember who it was, be kind. Everyone's, was it everyone's on a great journey? Everyone's be kind. Everyone's enduring a great journey i think I that's think, exactly what's what's the i'm misquoting it i think no it i think well, suffering. like bukowski said something like that too he said Did something he? Like, you'd think 
I mean, of course, his is a little bit more cynical. And yeah. I, I love Bukowski, by the way. I think he's sure. I think sure. he has a lot of compassion. Somebody who understands the struggle of he was. He was actually for all his bluster, there was a such sweetness and tenderness in his work, you know. Oh my god, yes. Yeah. And I think yeah. again, like you said, I think most people, especially people who haven't read him, they only they sort of like the bluster blinds them a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, he's he was mis a misogynist or he was this or is he yeah, this yeah. big drunk. I mean, yeah, but I really <laughs> think his his greatest scorn, shall we say, I think was reserved for himself. Um, and when he looked in the mirror, essentially, I mean, like Hamon Rye, there's a, you know, talks about him growing up in Los Angeles. And there's a portion of the book where he, he had had boils on his face. Yeah. And this is in the 1930s. And so he had essentially had to put some kind of like spackle on his face and he was sitting in his room one day and he saw a friend of his had come to the house and he's got this this terribly embarrassing condition with this ugly spackle so he hid underneath the bed and the kid just walked into the house and essentially discovered him hiding under his bed with this spackle on his face and yeah it's just he, he i mean he struggled he and did. I think, again, that's where that sweetness, I think, that you're talking about comes from. So so this quote that you were, I th think he had a quote that said something like, you, you'd think that knowing that we're all going to die, that we would be, like, <laughs> be nicer to each other, be nicer to each other. <laughs> yeah. Because the, the end, you know, the end of the story is bad. You know where the story's going. <laughs> exactly. And yet we, you know, we yeah. kill each other. We I know. oppress each other. And we're here for just, you know, who knows how long we're here Not for. that long. Hey, when did you learn, when did you, when did you recognize that you were interested in people, as you said, that you were, the people interested, like, because I know that as someone I do, it's certainly my interviewing, I really learned it, but there's a lot of the places I've learned it too. But I was like, oh, this is something I actually just find compelling people's lives and their stories. When did you recognize that? Can you remember? It's a really good question. Um, because I've always been interested in people, I think. Yeah, even when you were like a teenager, even when you were before college, even that young, you think? Yeah, and I mean, I'm trying to think of how I can give a good answer to this. I know, it's a tough one. I've never asked anyone it, so do, <laughs> do your yeah, best. I'm just trying to think if there was like, you know, that epiphany moment. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I it's, mean, it's. I always say it's like if you had to write yourself, and the character realized he liked people, what would be the scene where you would show him to show us, the reader, that he was interested in people and not just himself, period. You know, he had an interest beyond his own life. I, I guess maybe I can do a non-answer for that. Sure. Um, in that I do remember, and I guess this might have been, I guess, kind of answering this question i remember when i was a, a plebe a freshman at the naval academy they called freshmen plebes nice which yeah. tells you about <laughs> yeah. you know, the kind of status that you have sure at the naval academy and i was at a bookstore in washington dc and i was 18 and i was in uniform i don't know why i was there it was a terrific bookstore it still exists i haven't been in a million years apparently it's changed a bit it's called kramer books okay and they had a cafe attached to it. And so to a, a kid from 1980 suburban Pittsburgh, a bookstore, a great bookstore that stayed open 24 hours and you could like get coffee wow. at it was wow. kind of a revelation. 
Uh, that's many places now, but like, I love this place. And I had had coffee and I was looking at the books. And I remember I saw our waiter coming towards me in the bookstore. And of course, being the guilty Irish Catholic that I am, thought, oh, oh no, what did I do? Did I not <laughs> well enough? Did I right. Did something bad happen? And so again, I'm this 18 year old guy who who comes came from this very cloistered kind of like upper middle class environment. Right. And the waiter just said, excuse me. And I said, yes. And he said, I think you're beautiful. Uh, male uh, waiter. Right. And my reaction was, oh, thank you. Right. And he <laughs> left. And I realized in that moment that, again, this is 1980. Sure. Yep. Yep. I realized Oh, um, one, that was just a really nice thing. And I was flattered and I yep. feel, feel good. And two, it sort of solidified how I felt about other people. Like I didn't care that he was gay. Right. And, and so it was, again, it was sort of like an epiphany, sort of a moment. Again, part of good this moment. See, wouldn't that be a great scene to write? I would love to see that in your hands, my friend. I think, which I, which I want to mention, because Surrender is a beautiful collection, beautifully Thanks. written. If you enjoy just intelligently crafted and heartfelt stories, you will like it. It's really well done. I hope you're proud of it. You should be. Absolutely. And it's not what you think is what, I, again, I was at Book Soup the other night uh, signing books for them. And I'd asked uh, Dan, the store manager there, I yeah. said, have you read it yet? And he said, no, not yet. And I said, well, look, I said, I know when, you know, that, you know, that I'm a Marine and right. you know, you know the, the backstory of it. I said, it's not what you think. No, uh, it's, it's not a rah-rah. No, 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 no. There. Yeah, it's it's that yeah, it's not what you think. This is it's this is what it feels like to be a human going through these things. That's what it felt like. That's what it felt like to me. Just what well, it feels like. So you did a great you. job. You should be really pleased with it. I, I think you should be proud of it. In my humble opinion, sir. Yeah. So all right. So uh people are you so you've been doing some stuff. I know right now you're at a retreat that has to do where you're helping uh veterans who are I, from what I, the little I gleaned from you, where you're helping veterans with some healing stuff. Is that partly what it, it's about? Yes. It's actually a place called Boulder Crest Retreat. And it's, there's two of them. There's one in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. And this one is south of Tucson. And this is my, I have a friend of classmates of mine from the Naval Academy on the board here. And they're having a, their five-year anniversary celebration. Nice. So I got invited to participate in the celebration it's a beautiful place and they do amazing stuff it, they i think they're calling it post-traumatic growth and they've nice. saved you know essentially it's interesting because i think what i'm dealing with in surrender is kind of what institutionally they're doing here at Absolutely. Boulder i'm sure i'm sure and so I think there's, I hope there's a, you know, there's a there there for us, a future for us, because I think based on the tool kit that I have developed personally, that I could help other veterans, you know, write and Great. help post-traumatic growth and to struggle well, as they say here. So yes, I am at this place, Boulder. That's Crescent. great. It's beautiful. And yeah, that's really cool. Um, all right. Well, I, are you still doing any kind of publicity stuff or are you kind of, it came out in November, just beginning of this month or last month, uh, I guess when this drops, uh, still doing some publicity stuff or is that kind of, you kind of, is, is this the end of it? No, I mean, I'm, I'm a hustler at the end of the day. All right. 
I like to talk. Yeah, uh, good. So I'm going to ride the wave as long as possible. You do it. You do it. Hey, you spent a long time writing this. I'm going to bet it didn't come out in a three-month spurt. And so now you get to continue the conversation. This is a chance to, I just, that's what I always tell my students. It's a conversation. You start it and then it can continue. Yeah. You get to Absolutely. That's that a great, that's a great way to describe it as a conversation. Yeah. Um, and that's actually the kind of thing that I love about this kind of storytelling. You know, like, Absolutely. My son had actually asked me, he's 14 now. He was probably eight or nine. And I was reading, rereading uh, uh, Baldwin's Another Country. Um, which I think is like Baldwin is not just simply like a great writer. He's a prophet, I think. <laughs> wow. Um, All right. And I, praise. Yeah. I, I mean, and I think another country in particular is almost like a religious text because I think you can open it up almost to anywhere and find some kind of salvation in it. Nice. Um, and that, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, people who have compassion for being human uh Baldwin is again he's he's like again uh, a religious figure in a way in his compassion for being human uh which is utterly mind-blowing to me yeah. and I think that's one of the qualities I love most about it, the writers that I admire is a sense of compassion for people in people that they could just absolutely vilify like you know in another country like the entire white race could be so easily vilified uh for their you know, oppression, persecution, violence against, you know, Baldwin and his people. But Baldwin has such compassion for white people in another country that it's, it's almost makes you want to cry because we, you know, his oppressors did nothing to deserve that except for being human beings. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you. So, Where was I going with that? I don't know. But uh, if you want a religion, if you want to start your own religion, let compassion be the start. I will tell you that nothing you if you it, it either compassion is either for everybody or for nobody. That's exactly I don't, I don't see how it can be otherwise. exactly you can't you can't you don't get to select it. the nice ones. It's either have it for everybody or nobody. Exactly. I, I remember so this is this concept of you know writing being like a conversation, yeah. book yeah. being a conversation. So my son, as he asked a lot in that time frame, like, well, is Baldwin still alive? Right. I said, no, I said, I think he died in the 80s. And so he sat and he thought for a second and he said, but it's like you're having a conversation with Baldwin. Nice. Yes. And yes. I was like, absolutely. Because yes. Baldwin now is kind of immortal and um, is able to have this conversation, with, continue to have this conversation with humanity. And that's a really powerful thing. Yeah. So that's a we all do. We're having conversations. If you're a writer, you're having conversations with people you'll never meet, but it's happening. It is happening. All right, my friend, you're a very interesting man. You've written Thank a very you. good book. I know you're working on another, but I'm not ready to let you go just yet. Okay. I got one more question for you. Go for it. Kind of been dancing around it, but maybe, I don't know, you might surprise me. Uh, finish this sentence. If writing, all the writing you've done has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Oh, God. <laughs> um, I, I guess it's just, it's just taught me that again that we all struggle um again coming from where i do everybody goes to college um you know everybody's got enough to eat everybody's got a right. nice home sure. sure um and through my process of writing I, you know again i realized even my quote oppressors or my the antagonists in my life struggle as well and 
I like to think too that the main two main antagonists in uh surrender, the coach, the football coach, yeah, Coach Logger, and the Marine Battalion commander, uh yep. Mad Mike. Um again, it would have been very easy, I think, to vilify them. Um, but both of them are paying a price for being these archetypical American males, the Marine Corps infantry battalion commander, the, you know, the, the successful Western Pennsylvania high school football coach. Um, again, they are kind of celebrities in their worlds, kind of deities, minor deities, demigods, yet they pay a very high price for that. And so for me, it, to answer your question is that you know, again, back to this compassion thing that we, you know, we're all paying a price for being alive in trying to live. So I, I think that's the answer to the question. That's a good answer, my friend. It's a kind answer. It's a humane answer. And I think it's truth. I think it's truth. And I think, I hope your writing takes you deeper and deeper into that. Thank I you. It probably will. Thank you so much, uh, Brian. This has been great. This has been a lot of fun. Wonderful. Yeah. Likewise. Terrific, Bill. Compassion is, uh, if you want to understand people, then you got to have it. It's, it's, everybody's doing something. Everybody's going through something. Everybody's, yeah, everyone's trying their best. That's right. Compassion. Listen, I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. And uh, to all of you out there, all of you out there, be kind. Be kind, first of all. Just, it's, just be kind to yourself. Start with that. Be kind to yourself. And you know the best way to be kind to yourself? is by finding something you love to do and doing it.